0: Hello and welcome to this ACU Oncology Updates on Oncogene-Driven Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer from the ESMO Congress in Paris. I am Dr. David Planchard from Gustave Rossi in Vigre, France. I'm very pleased to be joined today by my two of my colleagues, Dr. Egbert Smith from Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands and Dr. Daniel Tan from the National Cancer Center Singapore in Singapore. We are all thoracic oncologists and involved in lung cancer research. Welcome, Egberta and Danielle, and thank you both for your time in joining me today. In today's ACU, Onconcasta, our expert will discuss new data from the 2022 ESMO Congress on the detection of osimertinib-resistant and targeting met amplification. So, osimertinib is a preferred first-line treatment for a diaphragmated advanced non-small cell lung cancer following. The FLAURA trial that showed a clear improvement in progression-free survival, but also in overall survival in comparison to the third-generation uh, eye. However, all patients eventually develop acquired resistance. It can be an early acquired resistance or later acquired resistance. Uh, understanding first-line osimertinib-resistant mechanism uh, is really important for developing strategy to target them and to try potentially to resensitize the patient or to try to avoid the development of resistance under osimertinib in first line. At ESMO, uh, data from the prospective is two ELIO study that aim to characterize resistant mechanisms to first line osimertinib were presented. So perhaps Daniel, can you please comment on what we know about resistant mechanisms to osimertinib so far and what the ELIO trial has added to our current knowledge?
1: Sure. So, you know, I think post-osimatinate resistance remains a clinical unmet need, and so far we have seen several um, landscape kind of pie charts that have described some of the common resistance mechanisms. The ones that we know of include on-target C797S mutations, but also bypass pathways like MET amplifications and the interestingly, development of uh, alternate oncogenes, oncogenic drivers like BRAF and even KRAS. Um, It's also important to say that, you know, with post-Ozimatid, we do see increase in um, lineage plasticity and occurrence of both squamous and small cell transformation, maybe in about 10 to 15% of patients. But up to date, a lot of these were really, um, you know, single institutional experiences. And... What uh, this ILIOS study attempted to do was to um, actually conduct in a systematic fashion uh, almost a phase two study designed specifically to understand resistance mechanisms through pre- and post-biopsies. So a total of 154 patients were uh, initially recruited. And again, one thing that was quite striking is that when we subsequently went on to do the analysis of the landscape uh, in terms of the proportion of patients that actually had paired biopsies, um, this ended up being only a smaller fraction of this. So, forty-six patients with paired biopsies, and then uh, patients that, and then then uh, an additional analysis were done uh, in addition to the usual genomic analysis that included some proteomic analysis. Um, in terms of high-level findings, uh, again, some of the usual suspects were detected from the point of view of, uh, you know, the prevalence of these mutations. And in this study, they found that, uh, again, the C797S mutation was commonest, uh, acquired resistance mechanisms with up to 15%. Um, actually, MET was a close um, second at 17% MET amplification. But again, despite this very meticulous tr- design trial um, and this effort to capture biopsies, you know, in fact, I think the, the Addition, we didn't particularly find, um, you know, additional genomic alterations in the landscape, you know, that we didn't already know. So, you know, some of the other common things that arose, arose were your other drivers like BRAF and elk. I think there were some interesting exploratory proteomic analysis that did, uh, that were quite inter- interesting that revealed, for example, CMET and Axel protein overexpression, but also importantly, um, some of the current targets for ADCs, um, including trope, uh, trope two. Um, so again, I think that does shed some light at, at, with potential strategies to address um, osimertinib resistance. So that's
0: mean we have, It still confirmed the importance to perform tissue biopsy at recurrency
1: post-osimertinib, if, uh, if you agree. Uh, yeah, no, I think that, that that's, a, that's a very important point to make that, you know, liquid biopsies have a role where we kind of have characterized resistance mechanisms well, and they can be detectable in uh, plasma. I think what we're seeing is, you know, potentially um, mechanisms that only can be unraveled through proteomics or tissue-based analysis, including things like lineage plasticity and looking at histological changes. So I think for sure, I, 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 we certainly uh, would still advocate for acquiring tissue biopsies um, in osimertinib resistance. Uh, and just a
0: question we might have in mind so to, to look at specific acquired mutation tissue liquid, this is something we're discussing for the metamplification. Uh, can we trust and can we identify this abnormality by liquid biopsy? Or for you, it's still a uh, we still have to go for the tissue biopsy. Huh?
1: Yeah, no, again, great question. And again, it, it's a question of sensitivity. And um, I, I do think that um, there were some interesting analysis as well in the insight study insight 2 study where they tried to actually have the comparison of two different methods of looking at cmat and uh, you know you you did we did see activity um, it, regardless of how the platform of choice but the probably the detection rate would be lower in the setting of a plasma based assay just because of the sensitivity yeah. of these assays and in in, the, in that context um, being able to get tissue biopsies and doing for example fish um, on at a single cell level can you know because to count individual cells and the nuclei amplification signal um, has some value the other question is whether orthogonal tools like NGs can be just as representative to identify cmet um, and again I you know I, again there, there is more validation and data that needs to be, um generated in this regard trying to address you know what the significance of this uh cMAT amplification that we may detect either in plasma in tissue NGS or tissue fish um in, in this regard and that's probably one of the contributory factors why we do see heterogeneity in the outcomes to many of the CMAT inhibitor trials that we've run to date.
0: No totally totally agree and thanks for this uh Nice overview for, for you, Egbert. So I mean, you, you you looked also to the to the met amplification by tissue and sometimes by uh, by liquid. Huh?
2: Yeah, well, we did, and I I completely agree with Daniel. Liquids uh, and um, amplification of any gene actually uh, has its own problems because you don't know what you are comparing to, right? That is that is essentially uh, the problem that you have in liquids. Um, nevertheless, I I do think that liquid biopsies are important in analyzing uh, osimertinib resistance and i thought a little bit of pity that that these data were not presented in in the context of the eos uh, uh, trial uh, uh, at this esmo but i'm sure we will have those data at some future point in time or some uh, future congress and yes i um, i I do think that um, at the current current time uh, tissue analysis of CMET in particular, fish is probably the best way to uh, the best biomarker for fi- for uh, uh CMET directed therapy.
0: No, this is an important message, huh? and also at this more So we heard about the the first result from the Inside 2 trial, which investigate the combination of selective mm-hmm. MET inhibitor like tepotinib plus osimertinib in patient egiphlometitid. So we develop a MET amplification resistant. To first line of cimertinib i think this is an important trial perhaps in a few words you can provide some yeah, insight i of think the trial. Uh,
2: i think to some point it illustrates perfectly what daniel just said in um in in the inside two trial patients were uh, selected on the basis of tissue mean uh, by fish c fish but the number of patients also uh, virtually all patients submitted uh, liquid biopsies as well the CMAT amplification rate in tissue was 33% and in plasma, it was 11%. So that tells you what uh, the power of tissue or plasma is in uh, in this regard. I think in, in um, tissue, it was somewhat high because I, I suspect a lot of investigators submitted only material where they had some uh, uh, confidence that there was actually a CMAT uh, um, amplification. So that was somewhat preselected, I think. The, the 33% actually probably on the high side, I think the true uh, incidence of uh, CMET amplification as a resistance mechanism, maybe in the order of 10 or 15%, at least that's what the literature will tell you. So what happened was that they had a uh, first Cohort of patients that was uh, treated by tipotinib, a, uh, a selective CMET inhibitor, only as a single agent. And in these patients, they saw only one response. And then they went on uh, in combining osimertinib with tipotinib, both at their uh, recommended doses, actually 84 milligrams for OC and 500 milligrams once daily for tipotinib. And they had a, an objective response rate of over 50%. Um, in a subset of patients that had a follow-up of um, nine months at least, this held also true. Mm-hmm. Uh, because nine months, uh, the nine-month follow-up con- constitutes the primary analysis population and not all patients had that long-term follow-up. In fact, this was an interim analysis where only 22 patients had a follow-up of nine months at least, but it seems in at least in those patients that these responses are quite long-lasting. I think there's an important signal and we have to see wait for the um, for the entire population, the study enrolled uh, completely to see uh, whether and how this compares to other combinations that have been tested also, in particular the um, osimertinib trial, and uh, Daniel may comment on uh, osimertinib in conjunction with capmatinib. I think a very well tolerable uh, combination, at least in uh, in my experience. And that
0: was also um, from the toxicity table uh, apparent yes and it's, it's nice to see this magnitude of benefit and particularly in this population to select for the metamplification and to have a 45 percent response rate post so clearly it's might met uh, to have a new standard of care in this population whatever the met it can be tepotinib. we can have imagine to have also the same magnitude uh, with uh salvolitinib or capmatinib probably but that's uh this is something quite important. We also have uh, this uh, B-specific antibody with amivantamab, for example, which target the EGFR and the MET uh, that have shown also some promising data. So that means clearly uh, this MET uh, target uh, post-osimertinib is something really something uh, quite uh, important. And perhaps can we imagine to anticipate the amplification of MET with this type of uh, of combination in the near future? So we still have uh, some questions about the, the best strategy. Huh? For you, Daniel, so that mean target met is something quite uh, important. You look at it, and in this case, you make this type of association in clinical practice in Singapore. Huh?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and you know I think it's tremendous that uh, there have been many efforts to try to address this through uh, combinations, and certainly there have been trials set up to answer this, um, you know, including the Saffron study, which is um, again using savilitinib combined with osimertinib. Uh, versus chemotherapy, platinum-based chemotherapy in the post in patients post osimertinib, either in the first or second line setting, um, and again there was previously uh, a, a phase three plan and design for combination of matinib and uh, osimertinib as well. I think one challenge with enrolling into patients into these trials has been the fact that actually it's still fairly heterogeneous in terms of the practice of using. Um, you know TKIs in, in different parts of the world. So there are some places that still use sequential approaches where they go with a first and second generation. And the implications of CMET identified in a different context and how you then get a clean readout in the context of a phase three trial can be quite challenging. Um, and with with and, and not only that, I think we, there's the additional um experience now that we have um a, to approve um, C-Met, uh, exon 4, CMET inhibitors, but used in the context of exon 14 skipping. And there are some health authorities that then and can have guidelines that sometimes can uh, permit the use of this in a kind of off-label setting, um, but again, supported by guidelines such as the NCCN. And, and I think the combination of these factors does make um, enrolling into some of these trials sometimes a challenge. Um, but nevertheless still very important for us to be able to you know define these cohorts very carefully uh, and identify the appropriate thresholds and and you know using these biomarkers that, based on the discussion that we had in the earlier segment yeah. um, you know in, in 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 as uniform a way as possible to get this cle- this 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 readout that we can actually interpret so all in all I think Ongoing trials, to summarize, ongoing trials, phase three trials as well to establish the role. Um, And and in the meantime, a lot of still effort going into harmonizing, um, not just the biomarker, but also the different heterogeneous kind of patient cohorts that we encounter in the EGFR setting. Thank you, Egbert and Daniel, for this great discussion. And thank you
0: all for listening. Stay tuned for the next ICU Oncocast as we discuss updates on targeting rare molecular drivers.